try that again. Good morning, Forest Heights Baptist Church. Good morning. Before we begin our praise service this morning, we have a special treat for you. It's that time of season again. We have our first Lottie Moon Christmas offering video. That's why I'm here. That is 
seen enough of orphanages, I worked with enough organizations that I knew the best place for a child was in the family. And we don't just take them home and drop them off. What we do is we spend a lot of time going to the family and finding out what sent that child to the streets. Was it the influence of peers? Was it poverty at home? And then spend a lot of time working on that issue with the family. Every child that's placed back at home, they follow them until they reach the age of 18 when they finish school. Just to make sure that child has no chance of going back to the street, everything is fine, they have enough food, they're in school, they invest their life in these children. I'm sure that these kids, if given a chance and a place to make their lives, for sure they are going to change and make a better generation for us. I just want to sincerely say thank you. It is because of Southern Baptists that I am able to be here. The shelter is able to keep running. I'm able to serve in this way because of your gifts of the Lighting and Christmas Offering and the Foster Program. And it's marvelous to see a child that was alone and living on the street and hopeless uh, reunited with their family. This is the model that works. This is what helps to get kids back home where they should be and where they want to be. Um, so super excited to kick off Lottie Moon. Um, like you saw, every little bit goes right back into the mission field from um, just starting um, to, to get people to, to serve to as whenever they exit, they leave, um, to being partners for um, retired missionaries who just want to partner um, and still be a part of uh, the International Mission Board. Um, every little bit that you give matters. So whether it's five cents, fifty dollars, a hundred dollars, whatever, uh, any little thing that you give matters. Um, like you saw, um, these kids, these families are so impacted by everything, um, just by one person heeding that call. Um, it's a huge thing. Um, that we don't always think about. This is the only time that the International Mission Board um, collects money. It's this one offering that sustains them throughout the entire year, uh, which is a huge, huge uh, trust um, in Southern Baptist in God that, that they'll be taken care of um, throughout the rest of the year. I know that times are, times are rough, COVID, um, whatever, um, but just, you know, give prayerfully, give sacrificially on top of your tithe. This is not a replacement. Um, this is to give on top of it. Um, our goal this year is $9,000. Um, this is something that we reached last year, so I know we can do it. Um, I always like to go, you know, if we want to go over that, that's totally okay. But um, 9000 is our goal. Once we hit 2000 I believe... The church will match us, um, so that's really awesome as well. But just, you know, um, 
as you're, you're going through these next few months, as you are watching these videos, um, be praying for every one of these, these kids, every one of these missionaries that you see. Um, you'll also know as, um, if you're on Facebook, if you're getting the, um, the prayer sheets, the emails, whatever, um, there are, we've been doing something called 55 and 5, which is um, another portion of the IMB we've, uh, that's specific to um, Africa, which is this goal to reach 55 unreached people groups in five years. Um, this time that we're doing right now, stop crying, Julianne. <laughs> uh, you're gonna make me cry. Uh, this time right now is we're just introducing these people groups to you. So every, every week we, um, we let you get to know a group of people. Um, so uh, ideally, as you get to know these people, um, you, they become real to you. That's really my goal, is that this is not just you know, Joe Schmo or this idea that you have, but um, this is real. Um, it's something that I've benefited from. It's people that I know have benefited from. Um, when I served with the International Mission Board, there were times that I was like, thanks, Lottie. Um, you know, it's, it's, this is a real thing, and it's, um, it's people that are really benefiting from it, as you see in the video. Um, I know that the envelope doesn't appear until December, whatever, whatever. There are envelopes in the back. Totes okay to start now. Um, or you can just add it onto your regular envelope. Special offering line, Lottie Moon. Um, but once again, on top of your tithe. Um, oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> Unrelated to Lottie Moon, if you brought, uh, if you picked up one of the the boxes in the back for the Operation Christmas Child, we need you to bring them back filled um, before November fifteenth. We're on fit. Um, sorry, by November fifteenth, uh, we're sending those out um, that week, so that we need to have them packed, stuffed, labeled, and rubber band in the back. Um, also continue to pray for that. Um, we have a hundred and something plus boxes. I don't, I'm so sorry, I don't know. Um, so that's a whole lot of kids that are gonna receive that um, blessing this year. And so awesome that for everyone that participated, um, but November 15th is the deadline to bring those back. There are still some, if you want to pick that up, just saying. Um, okay, I'm done. Bed. Thank you. I wasn't sure. Okay, we're going to begin our praise service by standing and singing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing.
Thank you that you first loved us so that we can love you. We can be brought into that um, peaceful relationship with you where our sins are forgiven and we're cleansed through the blood of Jesus. And I pray that as we come together this morning that we will continue to realize that in a very special and powerful way in such a way that we'll lift you up throughout this service, honoring you and glorifying you, thanking you for all that you've done for us and all that you are. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Holy Spirit, thou art service this morning. Let's all stand as we sing in Christ alone.
Good to see you here this morning, and for you that I can't see, maybe you can see me, it's good to have you also with us. Okay, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Jesus is on the way to the cross, he's in Jerusalem, Is coming to a fast end, they think, but there's much more to be involved after he's crucified. There will be a resurrection and an ascension, and they will be carrying out 
are continuing to carry out the mission that Christ was carrying out, and that is with the church. So we're going to be looking at the parable of the uh, marriage feast as he's in Jerusalem. And it's in chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again in parables. Now this is a third of three. And this is a trilogy. This is uh, uh, three all relating to one another as we'll talk about in just a, a moment. Uh, and he said, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast. And they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fattened livestock are all butchered. And everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention. They went their way. One to his own farm. Another to his business. And the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged and sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. And those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guest, he saw there was a man not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness in that place where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Father, we just pray for your grace and its sufficiency, that it will touch our lives in such a way that you'll use your grace to deal with our minds and our hearts so that we will be in tune to what you have in your word and what the Holy Spirit might say to us today so that we can be drawn closer to you and in a... Uh, stronger and, and even a uh, more beneficial relationship with you than we have been in the past. So encourage us and strengthen us and Lord lead us, guide us, teach us this morning as only you can in Jesus name. Amen. This parable as I mentioned earlier is the third of the parables dealing with judgment in relation to nation Israel, and especially the Jewish religious leaders. Now, these Jewish religious leaders and the nation of Israel challenges Jesus' authority, especially the leaders. And they not only challenge his authority, but they reject him and his invitation. They've rejected it over and over and over again. And so he's giving them another, yet another chance. And, and this parable is very simple and it's very clear. 
It is one of the most dramatic and powerful parables of all that's been told because it's so straightforward. Jesus has been teaching for three years concerning the gospel and the kingdom of God. And the, uh, the teaching included offering himself and his kingdom to the people of Israel. He came into his own, and his own received him not. And this parable shows those two scriptures that, that are hand in hand in, in the gospel of John uh, in the first chapter. He came into his own, and his own received him not. Yet as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the children of God. So uh, this illustrates this very clearly. At the end of three years of ministry, only a handful of Jews had uh, received him in his teaching. And so uh, the story teaches us at least two main lessons. Number one, it teaches us that uh, empty profession leads to judgment. In other words, Israel had an outward appearance of religion. But inwardly, they had emptiness. And so there was judgment for them. And then the second thing that the parable teaches, a lesson that we can learn, is that God's program deals with a dramatic transformation. If you'll think about it, uh, due to the unfaithfulness of the uh, nation Israel, what did he do? Well, the stewardship of the kingdom of God will be translated or transported or transferred to what? The Gentiles who believe, the church, as we will see. And so the, the, uh, the parable contains a few scenes, at least four, that we know of, if not more. So first of all, we're going to look at the rejection of the Im invitation. The rejection of the invitation. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who held a wedding feast for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast. They were unwilling to come. He sent another group. They paid no attention and went their separate ways. One to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves and treated them abusively and uh, killed them. Although uh, many of Jesus' followers probably had never attended a royal wedding feast or a, a royal wedding of any kind, they knew what went on at these wedding uh, events. And so Matthew 21, 23, uh, as Jesus answered chief priests and elders there, he continued to respond to their challenge of his authority with another parable, and this is it. His first two parables gave no introduction. The, uh, the only, they only gave the explanation and the application at the end of the parable. But this parable begins by stating what it illustrates, and that is the kingdom of heaven. It's kind of like with teaching or preaching. You've got a couple primary uh, methods that you use. One is you can state the theme at the beginning, and restate it throughout with your points, uh, proving this. Or you can 
build on an introduction that has a climax telling your, your theme at the end. Not revealing it beforehand, but building up to it. And so uh, this one, he states it at the beginning. And he restates it throughout. And so the audience could easily relate to this parable. For they considered the kingdom of heaven to be reserved exclusively for them. And uh, their views concerning the kingdom of heaven uh, may have been perverted in, in, uh, in places, but they, they all knew that it was uh, synonymous with the kingdom of God. So the audience in the temple uh, immediately perked up to listen to what Jesus was about to say to the relationship that they had to God, the kingdom of heaven. They were God's chosen people. What the audience had refused to realize, though, about the kingdom of heaven was it had a narrower uh, sense in the scriptures than they realized. In other words, the, the phrase was also used to refer to God's dominion of redemption, his divine program of gracious salvation, and they didn't understand that. And so this was used by Jesus here to represent the spiritual community of God and his redeemed people. So there was a request from the king. Uh, in the Near East, a wedding feast was inseparable from the wedding itself. In other words, the wedding involved a week-long series of meals and festivities, but a royal wedding could go on even longer than that, could go on for weeks. And so the royal wedding feast was chosen as an illustration here of the ultimate celebration that he was trying to get across to them. Now, all preparations, you've you got to understand in the East, all preparations had been completed before the king sends out his slaves to call those with this invitation. I mean, they, they already knew about this. They already had committed themselves to this, in other words. Wedding feast notices went out before the invitation uh, to come uh, sent by the, uh, the, the slaves. And so to know about the wedding and be pre-invited and to accept and then refused to come was unheard of. It was unheard of. That was very, very uh, disrespectful to the king. And it was a high honor to be invited by the king to such a wonderful festivity. Uh, but in the Near, e uh, uh, the Near East, an invitation by the king and, and more uh, it was more than just a high honor, though.
it's okay. Man, I tell you what, these guys, they know how to fix me up and keep me going. I thank you, David. Uh, so, if I can get untangled here. Um, getting back to uh, the wedding feast. So, you know, it's a lot different. Then it was serious business. It may not be such serious business today, but it was then. And the invitation also carried the force of a command. It wasn't just an invitation. It was by the king. It was a command. And so to disregard the invitation or call was not an option, really. It may have been with other people in, in the community, but with the king, no. Rejection of the call went more, far further than discourtesy to the point of rebellious disobedience. And we want to, inv- we want to understand that because it, this parable is going to show and prove the disobedience, the rebellious disobedience of these spiritual leaders. Those who reject Christ today even. Not only the spiritual leaders then, but as we relate it to it, Uh, In the parable, those who reject Christ today. This great festivity that is coming to Christ, this this great event of coming to know him, when we reject him, what is it? It's just all-out rebellion. So let's look at the response of the invitees. And he sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. The time of great celebration and joy where the king wanted to share it with those who appeared to be most worthy, what did they do? They rejected. These most worthy were Israel. They were considered God's chosen people. Primarily here in particular, the leaders. And they knew they were supposed to attend the celebration. They had the, you know, we could take it as today, they had the scripture before them. It wasn't a surprise. They knew the Messiah was coming, didn't they? They had already been invited. They were waiting for the Messiah, in other words. Why? The messengers went out. Who were the messengers? The prophets. They had been telling God's people and others that the Messiah would come. They were informed of the celebration, but they refused to accept the invitation. Now, let's look at the reaction of the king to their response. Again, he sent out other slaves saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fattened cattle are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. The initial response of the king, like the initial response of the vineyard owner before, is amazing. Few monarchs were known for their humility and their patience. You just didn't see that. Especially in the face of an open insult like this. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. 
Everything is ready. The dinner was the first of many meals eaten during the feast. The servants were relaying the king's message. The dinner is ready to be served, in other words. The king was very patient. He was very long-suffering. He was very merciful. He was very graceful. Then the second response, they paid no attention. They went their separate ways, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest they seized the slaves and treated them abusively and then killed them. As before, the invited guests disregard the call. The call, not just of some peasant, but the king. This time, we're, we're shown some characteristics about the guests that were not revealed earlier. They were very brutal and crass. Many of the ones invited were just downright coldly indifferent. They acted as if the wedding had no consequence. They responded by carrying on business as usual. They were too busy with their own business, their own interests. You see, the indifferent guests represent the people who are preoccupied with daily living. You just look about throughout history how many people have rejected the call of Christ because they were just too busy. Look at the time when Christ was born. They placed him out amongst the animals. They had no room for him in the inn. There was busyness throughout the, the city. And very, very few came to honor the king child. The same thing here. They have been preoccupied with their daily interests throughout life. They are essentially the secular minded. Those who are interested in the here and now. And have no interest in spiritual matters. I want to ask you. How many people do you pass on the way to church? Jogging. Jogging's fine. It's a good exercise. I'm not against it. I like to see people jog. <laughs> Riding bikes. Hey, I like to see them ride bikes too. As long as they're not holding me up in traffic. <laughs> Going about their business, some of them mowing yards, some of them doing this, doing that. Have you ever stopped to wonder if they have a relationship with the Lord? People that are so business and, and busy and, and you pass them on the highways and and, and byways, and, and, and you see them, they're busy, busy about doing their, their business, carrying, carrying on their interests. And you pull up in a church, I'm, I'm talking about before COVID came about, and you pull up in a church parking lot, or you go past churches. And as far as the houses, 
as far as the people coming out and, and you know, used to, they'd pick up their paper, they'd come out and do this, do that, as, as opposed to cars and, and people in, in, in parking lots, people coming to worship the Lord. Have you wondered how many of them sleeping, going about what they normally do, and they have no interest for the invitation? No interest for the calling. They've been invited by a friend at work to come with them to church. They've been told about Jesus. Well, I don't want to hear that. How many? These were religious people. They weren't people staying home. These were people that were going to the temple to worship. But they were worshiping without a change of heart. You see, it's not just the people we pass on the highways. It's not just the people we see on the sidewalks. It's not just the people we, we get behind when they're riding their bikes. It's not the, just those. It's people who can come to church and sit and participate and never have a change of heart. They hear the invitation and they can get up and they can leave and never make a commitment to the Lord. Do you know with each rejection, it gets harder and harder because our hearts get harder and harder. We harden them towards God. This is what happened with these spiritual leaders. They had the word. They had the scholars teaching. But they were missing the key. And the key was Jesus, the Messiah. Not only were they indifferent, but they abused and killed the messengers. So what was the response of the king to the second refusal? In verses 7 through 10, but the king was enraged, sent his armies, destroyed those murderers, and set their city on fire. Then he said to the slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Do you see that? They were not worthy. They had not had a change. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Go therefore to the main highways and as many as you find there. Invite to the wedding feast. And those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together. All they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with the dinner guests. The king had been patient enough. You see, we can ride on God's patience and his long-suffering and think that, okay, you know, we can go ahead and do this. We can, we can go ahead and live this way. We can go ahead and do our own thing. And, and we can go ahead and not be serious about the Lord and his kingdom. We're enjoying this. We're enjoying that. We can be, uh, busily get involved in all of these things. And what we're doing is we're playing on God's long suffering, his mercy, his grace. But there is a time when judgment will come. This representing the Lord's pleading with his rebellious people over the centuries through 
prophet after prophet, come, come to me. The message carried to the people was, I have gone to a lot of trouble and great expense to prepare this banquet. I mean, I'm sending my son to die on the cross. Dinner is on the table. Come celebrate with us. Come and receive him. Participation in the feast was both a responsibility and a privilege. The sad thing was that the second group of messengers received this message, this invitation, but they were apathetic. They were aggressive. God was just as displeased, if you'll notice, with those who ignored as those who opposed him. And we need to remember that. People in this world need to remember that. Not only those who adamantly oppose Christianity is he displeased with, but also those who live in apathy and don't pay any attention to it and just go their own way. The other wedding guests responded like the tenants in the uh, previous parable. They mistreated and killed the messengers. But there was one difference here. With these guests, there was no motive. With the others, they were wanting to take over the land, weren't they? With this, there was no motive to skip out on the wedding feast. It was very irrational. And so the king's response was retaliation. Retaliation against the obstinate and the thankless guest. Judgment will come. The armies probably is referring to the Romans who would come and destroy the city, set the city on fire. In A.D. 70 under Titus, this happened. Eternal judgment is what we're going to be talking about, the eternal outcome there. Damnation, their final status due to their unwillingness to come. The, the king declared their guest unworthy. Though outwardly they appeared to be worthy, didn't they? They were religious. They looked good on the outside. They wore their suits and their ties and everything else or their dresses and their hats to, to church, and, but they looked fine on the outside, but they were empty on the inside. The guest unworthy was not uh, based, their, their status there was not based on social standing or religious merit. It was based upon their unwillingness. And so they refused his invitation. In other words, you're not going to work your way into salvation. It's not how much you, what kind of social standing you have or what kind of religious standing you have of, out among the community. It can be good. They can look up to that person and say, wow, that person is really a, a great Christian. And inwardly, they can be dead as a doornail, I guess you'd say. If they have not been born again. So the king sent his servants to find other guests for the feast. 
And they were, going, they were willing to go into the highways, which implies places where, what? Most people travel, right? So the invitation broadened, in other words. As many as you find there. And here it implies nothing is required for the privilege of being there. You don't have to be a Jew. You don't have to be a religious Jew. You don't have to be any of that. Verse 10 reveals good and evil were brought in. In other words, there were people that people thought were good people. And there were people that were brought in that were definitely evil people. We see it today. They're, oh, look at that person. They're really a good person. Look at all that they do for the community and everything else. And they may be dead spiritually. And then those, oh, look at those bombs. Look at those evil people. Look at those drunkards. Look at that. We know that, hey, they're sinners and they, they're in need of salvation. He brought in the good and the evil. They were both in need of salvation. It lets us know that not even moral worth was a criteria for, for entrance into the kingdom. Though no qualifications are stated, there was one requirement. You say, what did they have to do? Well, I'm not saying they had to do it. Look at the requirement in verses uh, that was necessary in verse Verses 11 through 14. But when the king came in to look over the, di uh, the dinner guest, he saw there was a man not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness, in that place where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen." What makes a person worthy of salvation today? It's the same thing that makes them worthy of salvation uh, since the fall. And that is faith in God's gracious provision of Christ. That's the only, that's the only requirement. You've got to receive that provision. It, you, nothing that you can do. You see, this is clearly revealed by the intruder who was at the wedding feast. There was definitely one requirement. And what was that? He didn't have on any wedding clothes. You know, wearing whatever we please to an event that requires certain attire reveals an attitude of disrespect, self-will, stubbornness, and rebellion. And that's exactly what this person is depicting here. Even though both evil and good showed up, there was one person who stood out among all of them. And that was a person without the proper attire, the wedding clothes, the proper attitude towards the affair. To become a member of the family of God, one has to has to be invited to the wedding feast. In other words, you cannot receive Christ without having that invitation to come to receive Christ. Somebody may tell you in the family, somebody may tell you in the church, Sunday school class, out at work, wherever, but there's that invitation, God sending that person to you. Are you reading it in the Bible? 
And all of a sudden, it, you may pick up a Gideon Bible and, and you may be down to, you know, in desperation. And, and you look at that. The Holy Spirit is inviting you. Whether he's using a person, whether he's using a Bible in a, a bedroom, uh, in, in, in a hotel, or, or wherever it might be. And even, you know, here, this person, though, uh, to be invited, you had to have proper attire, though, and to, to enter. And to have proper attire meant that you had to put on the righteousness of Christ. This involves a recognition of one's need to put on clothing that you don't have. The recognition that you can't wear whatever you might think that you can wear or you think is appropriate. Good works, uh, baptism, joining a church, doing good deeds in the community. Those are all wonderful things. But without being saved, they're not going to get you into heaven. And so the clothing illustrates that the man was utterly presumptuous, thinking that he could come to the king's banquet on his own terms. It pointed out his pride and self-willed attitude. The king addressing a man as friend did not imply prior relationship of intimacy with him. It was just a common way to address somebody with politeness. The king was open for an explanation. And the man had none, and this is very important because the, this demonstrated that whatever answer we might give, whatever answer he might could have given, would not be acceptable other than putting on the proper clothing. You remember in uh, Matthew 7, the verses that we covered in, with verse 22 and verse 23, on that day, some will say, well, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And in your name, didn't we cast out demons? And in your name, didn't we perform miracles? Look at all the things we did in your name. And then the Lord will declare unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You never got your heart right. You never received the proper garments. The garment of righteousness. The man was fully accountable for being improperly dressed. Nevertheless, the gracious king gave him an opportunity to justify himself. Now, the problem was his clothing, self-righteousness. Self-righteousness of any kind won't cut it. Rationalization of any kind and excuses will not cut it. Only the righteousness of Christ will be accepted. The verdict... Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. They bound him and cast him into the outer darkness where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. This man was not just rejected from the feast, but was bound and thrown into a place of torment. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. It indicates extreme pain and sorrow. The binding of the hand and foot was indicative of severe judgment. 
showing that there was no escape. You see, a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, I'll be in hell with my friends. It'll be fine. We'll be partying down there. No way. That's showing that there'll be eternal pain, eternal judgment, eternal torture. Well, you know, I can work my way out of there maybe when I get down there. Maybe I can do some good deeds. God sees that and he'll let me out of heaven. There's no escape. You, we're talking about people, eternity, not just one week, not just two weeks, not just a month, not just being in prison for a year, but for eternity. And it's not going to be like prisons that we see of and know of here in America. It's going to be a place that we could never imagine how horrible it'll be. For many are called, but few are chosen. That was mine, and I did not know I was, uh, I was on. Excuse me. Shame on you, son. Okay. Ah, the Lord closed with a simple and clear statement. For many are called, but few are chosen. The phrase reflects God's sovereignty and man's will. Now, please, I don't understand all of this, but I do know that it's biblical. The invitation to the weddings were sent out to many, weren't they? It represented everyone to whom the gospel message was sent. But few accepted, it says, the invitation. Those who did receive the invitation were considered among the chosen. The proper wedding garment of a true believer is what? God's imputed righteousness. Amen? And without which none of us can enter the kingdom of God. What does scripture say in 2 Corinthians? He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become what? Righteousness of God. It's not our righteousness, the righteousness of God. How? In him, in Christ Jesus. Those who enter God's kingdom come because of their willing acceptance of his sovereign, gracious appearance. I thought I turned it off. His gracious, willing acceptance. Oh, man. <laughs> Do y'all hear that? Debbie, I'm going to let you cut it off. Yeah, that's what I think about them. People we know... You may be born again. You may have God's righteousness. But I want to tell you, there's a lot of them out there that have no knowledge of, no acceptance, 
and no desire really to even accept it. They're just busy about their business. But one day, they will face God. Not as clothed in his righteousness, but in their own filth, filthy garments. God has said for us to go out into the highways, hasn't he? He sent us as messengers, and he's sending us as messengers. To tell those that we work with, that we're around, that we meet. And some of them are going to be hostile towards us because they're hostile towards God. But we're to tell them faithfully about the wonderful wedding feast that we have and that they can have. That wedding feast that involves Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just, I want to thank you for your wonderful love and grace. And Lord, there's, so many people. And it seems like it's just, <laughs> I know the world is, is growing in, in population, but it seems like it's really multiplying as far as lost as opposed to saved. And God, I just pray that we won't get discouraged, we won't give up. No matter what kind of reception we receive, that number one, we'll continue to pray for that person, taking it very seriously that they're lost and that they're bound for hell. And number two, that we'll continue to offer that invitation to them as God graciously shows us in this parable, as you show us in this parable, Lord, to be long-suffering, to be gracious, to be merciful, continuing to reach out to those in need, no matter what they say and what they do, and to continue to pray for them. Thank you, God. Thank you for your wonderful love and grace. Thank you for all that you've done. And Lord, thank you for what you're going to do because you haven't given up on mankind. There may be fewer receiving you, but Lord, we're still to go out and tell them, to reach out to them with the wonderful news, the message that you've placed in our hearts and our souls. Help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. God's dealing with your heart in any way. Maybe it's to come and kneel at the altar. Whatever it might be, come and make a decision. You come today.
It's good to see you today, and are there any announcements to be made before we leave? I know there was a wonderful announcement by our wonderful Haley earlier. Is there anything else? Okay, sign up sheets for the Thanksgiving meal, which will be on a Tuesday night or out in the foyer, is out in the foyer. Okay, anybody else? Okay, that was probably Jeremy Collins saying it's time to end the service, Dad. So, I mean, okay, Jeremy, if you're listening, if you're watching, you're in trouble, son. Let's go away rejoicing in the Lord. It's an awesome God He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God.